thank you for joining me today on the Full Circle Podcast. If you're just tuning in, I'm your host, Gillian McMichael, a master coach, holistic wellness expert, and the founder of Full Circle Global. In this season of the podcast, we're exploring the theme of transformation. As a coach, this is a topic that I'm intimately familiar with, having undergone my own transformative journey and supporting thousands of others with theirs. As we explore this topic, I'll be speaking with individuals who found their way home after undergoing some form of transformative shift in their lives. Whether it's a lifestyle change, a weight loss transformation, or overcoming an addiction. I have guests this season who prove that you have the power to make remarkable changes in your life. This week, I'm speaking with a woman that's had first-hand experience of growing up in the US foster care system. Cordelia Cranshaw spent a total of eight years in the foster care system, eventually coming out of that at the age of 18. Despite the struggle she faced in her youth, Cordelia used her experiences to pursue a career in social work and is now an advocate for child welfare. What is remarkable about her achievement is that in the United States, only 6% of children who grow up in the foster care system go on to earn a bachelor's degree. So the very fact that she's overcome the odds to earn a master's of social work at the age of 22 is something worth celebrating. On top of that, Cordelia was named Miss District of Columbia USA 2019 and is the founder of Acts of Random Kindness, an organisation designed to help children and their families break the cycle of poverty. She is an incredible, confident and inspiring woman and I'm thrilled to hear about her life journey. My hope is that we can all find the confidence to pursue the transformative journey required to achieve our dreams, just as Cordelia did. Welcome, Cordelia. So nice to have you here on the Full Circle podcast, Finding Your Way Home. It'd be great just to find out a little bit more about you. So could you start off by introducing yourself and telling us a little bit more about your childhood? Absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you for having me You're on welcome. Full Circle. I love, you know, your motto, finding your way home. I'm sure we'll be able to come full circle in my life at many points <laughs> as we kind of dive into that conversation. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, but just to give you a little bit of background about myself. So I'm Cordelia Cranshaw, now Cordelia Skeet. I was recently married last year, so we'll get into a little bit more about that later on. But I was born and raised in Alexandria, Virginia in the United States. And I come from a pretty diverse family, blended family. Um, um, my mom has five children and my dad also has five children. My younger sister is the only sibling that people would consider my full sibling. Me and her share the same mother and father. My other siblings have different mothers or different fathers. And my mom and my dad both remarried. So I have a lot of step siblings. But growing up, I always just considered everyone my brother and sister. So I come from a family of like one in 18 siblings. There wow. is a lot of us. Um, but we were not the typical family that spent holidays together and 
you know, had dinner together every night. I actually was um, placed into the foster care system when I was about five years old, my younger sister and I. My mom was in and out of incarceration uh, when I was a child, and my dad was a alcoholic and drug addict. So I was first exposed to the foster care system at five years old, and then we returned to the community, was placed in a home with a family friend, and so many different things happened between then and now. And I actually returned to the foster care system when I was 14 years old, and I would say that was a very pivotal moment in my life um, as, a, as a young girl. At 12 years old, my mom was sentenced to 10 years in prison and my dad was still struggling with drugs and alcohol and wasn't capable of taking my younger sister and I. So I, you know, kind of been exposed and experienced a lot of different trials and tribulations and experiences that have made me into the woman that I am today. Unbelievable. Thank you. So I'm really keen, to, if it's okay with you, just to get into more a little bit around those earlier experiences that you had in foster care. Can you share a little bit more about, if you can remember, because you were only five years old at the time, but can you remember what that felt like and, and what happened yeah. in those, those years for you? So it's interesting because I have, I remember being placed in two different homes. I know that it was a short period of time that we were actually in the system. But I remember two totally different experiences in those homes. So one being not such a great experience. I remember being, you know, more of a, in a motherly role to my younger sister or even, you know, a big sister wanting to protect her younger sister. And I remember trying to help her wipe herself on the toilet and the foster parent kind of like yanking me out of the bathroom telling me, you know, no, don't do that. And, you know, kind of like disciplining me for it. And then the other home that we were placed in, I remember them, you know, taking us to maybe like a Walmart or a Target and getting us all of like our hygiene things and that being like a, a fun process for us. And then taking us to the pool, I remember it being hot and it being summertime and them living across the street from a swimming pool. And so I remember them taking us to the pool. So that was pretty much, those are some memories that often come mm -hmm. to mind when I think about those first experiences in the foster care system um, around that age. But as you said, you ended up going in and out of foster care throughout your years, younger yes. years, and then obviously again at 14. Mm -hmm. And I, I wondered as you started to grow up and you know kind of move more into from childhood into adolescence, what was your experience of the system at that time? Yeah, so interestingly enough, not only was I exposed to the foster care system, but I have an older sister who was exposed to the foster care system, and my mother was actually exposed to the foster care system. So it's an interesting cycle that kind of repeated itself throughout my family, um, that generational cycle of being tapped into systems. And so I always heard negative things about the foster care system that especially as I grew into adolescence and my life even after I was first exposed to when I finally ended up back into the system, I bounced around from home to home. Um, there was a lot of instability, a lot of exposure to you know, incarcerated parents and parents on drugs and alcohol and just homelessness, living in shelters. So you know, I always heard negative things about the system that no one would ever want me, that I would end up like my mother and my father, that, 
you know, I would end up becoming a teen mom, you know, just the whole gamut. I wouldn't go to college. I would barely graduate from high school. Just all of those like horrific statistics kind of that you, that you, that are really a reality for a lot of youth that go through the system and that are exposed to the system. Um, so I am grateful that I have been able to beat those odds and not, you know, and overcome those statistics. But those statistics were very real. Who was giving you those messages? You know, those, I mean, obviously they are quite, I mean, they are statistics at the end of the day, but who was kind of passing those messages on to you at that age? Just different people who were in my life who, well, my older sister, for one, that was her experience that no one really wanted her. Um, You know, my mom, her, she had her own, you know, message to us and her own level of kind of explaining to us what could happen to us if we didn't go where she wanted us to go, kind of, you know, facilitating from prison go where she wanted us to go or be with who she wanted us to be. There were always comments made. And then just other people who maybe didn't think my behavior at the time was up to par or if I was being a normal teen, it was maybe rude or disrespectful, you know, would kind of throw these things in my face. As I'm listening to you, what's coming up for me is is this, I don't know, was you ever scared or nervous about these experiences that you were having in all these different homes? I was definitely nervous and scared. I didn't really know what tomorrow would ever look like. I often identify my experiences as being in survivor mode. I was surviving day to day. There were times where I didn't know if someone was going to allow me to stay there and where I had been staying. Um, There are many times where I had to stay with friends. I remember staying with one of my sister's boyfriends at one point in time living with my dad for a short period of time and his wife, if he got too drunk or, you know, they got into a fight, they would put us out and we would end up sleeping in his car or at the shelter. So during those moments, I just remember being in survivor mode. Like every day was a new day, but it was also a day where I didn't know what the evening was going to look like into tomorrow. And I didn't know what my tomorrow was going to look like so nothing was ever really promising i wonder from what you're saying and and obviously please share your thoughts on this because you experienced it but you know how did you manage i suppose at such a young age in that survivor mode for for quite a number of years that's something that i still self-reflect on and i look back on and i think that despite my parents wrongdoings there were certain things that they did instill in us at a young age and I think that I was destined for to I was destined to give back. I was destined to, you know, live the life that I was living to be able to be in the position that I am today. I didn't know that at the time. And I think that's where sometimes people who are facing trauma or who are dealing with life challenges get caught up. You get caught up in that moment, not really knowing what the future holds. Um, and so I believe I went through those experiences to be able to overcome them so that I can teach others how to overcome their experiences and their trauma. But in the moment, I didn't know that I had there were it was like a mix of people who would tell me all these bad statistics. But then there were people who believed in me because I I did things like take school very seriously. 
Um, I was this bright student in school, but I was also facing a lot of challenges at home. And so it didn't really, like usually that doesn't add up, right? You think the kid who's acting out in school, who's, who's you know, displaying these behaviors in school matches what's going on at home. And that wasn't really the case for me. I always made school my top priority. Do you feel like the the time at school was a bit more of your kind of safety, your place of, of, of safety and comfort? For sure. I would say up until the fifth grade, which was a, still a very significant time in my life, I was at the same school and that made a huge difference. And when I got into middle school, into high school for the most part, um, I did switch schools a lot. And that's where I went through the bulk of you know, my my troubling experiences. And then I stayed at the same high school. And if you look at the beginning years of my life, um, that stability just, you know, academically really played a part um, in my success. And then on the back end, as I'm preparing to go to college and preparing to make decisions as a, you know, as a child, but a, adult decisions for myself, me being at the same school and having some type of stability really did make a difference. Because you mentioned earlier on around that that kind of pivot when you was about 14, that things started to change when you then went back into foster care at the age of 14. Can you share just a little bit more about what happened for you at that age? That was a that was a rough time. So I said my mom went to was sentenced to 10 years in prison. Um, Well, she was actually sentenced to more, but they, of course, suspended. And so she only had to do 10 years. And she had been in and out of prison all my life, but it, I mean, I think that really kind of stung when we heard that she would be there for 10 years because at 12 years old, I'm like, okay, well, when she comes home, I'll be grown. Like I will be an adult. And what does this look like for me, for my sister, for my brothers? And so for about two years, I, you know, went back and forth to court trying to figure out, you know, who was going to take custody of us, my younger sister and I. We, I, we, my younger sister and I got split up. So we went with two older sisters who were only 10 years older than us that shouldn't have been taking care of us at the time, but they were willing to step in and that had its own challenges because I, you know, naturally was very mature for my age and that caused conflict. Uh, so I had ended, I ended up living with my dad part-time, living with my sister a sister's boyfriend, a sister's friend, some of my friends, um, some places not having anywhere to go. So that went on for about two years until the friend of mine that I was staying with, her and her family were from another state and they wanted to move away back to their hometown. And they wanted to take me with them, but it didn't feel right for me to go because I knew that my younger sister was here and that I I needed to be here for her. I just didn't, it didn't feel right for me to move with them to another state. And so I didn't. I ended up living with my dad for the summer. I was working. So I was like, I was probably 13 turning 14 this summer. And I was working and my dad was heavy on drugs, heavy on alcohol. I was living with him in his one bedroom apartment. And um, I actually attempted suicide. And it's interesting because I've talked about this a few times, but it for some reason it still stings when I talk about it. I but imagine. I attempted suicide and um, was pretty much by myself even throughout that process of 
trying to get myself to the hospital, calling my sister, letting her know what I did, um, just being in the hospital by myself as they take care of me and tell me that I, I actually will be okay, um, getting myself back to my dad's. Um, but at that time, the courts were had always been involved, but they were involved knowing my dad's history and they wanted to make sure that me living with my dad was going to be a good fit. And so my dad actually promised me that he wouldn't tell the social worker that I had attempted suicide. And we had court, I think like a week later. So court happened. I think they probably ended up giving my dad, maybe they still were probably going to follow the case. And I think they had determined that I was going to stay with my dad. And no surprise to me, my dad probably just didn't want to do it. And Probably felt like he couldn't live up to those expectations and didn't really express that in court, but ended up telling the social worker after court that I had attempted suicide. And so she took me to mental health right away. And that was essentially when I became a ward of the court. And, you know, as I continue to share my story and my experiences, that's one promise that I'm glad my dad broke. Yeah. Because I wouldn't be where I am today. Who knows where I would have ended up but um he did break that promise and that is what essentially kind of broke the the camel's back and Mm -hmm. and the state was like okay we're we're taking her yeah wow gosh and that must have been quite a dark time actually and quite a challenging time emotionally for you and i can see you know as we're talking i can hear this emotion there as as you're speaking and i just want to say thank you for sharing that so gosh, so so that then obviously you started then on a different journey after that by the sounds of things I did. So my experiences in even in the system were quite odd. So I was actually dating someone at the time in high school and um, his mom had prayed for me before court and I did not call her after court. So she ended up calling me and I told her I was at mental health and she had had an older son who had dealt with, you know, the, the mental health system. And so she immediately came and wanted to support me. And throughout that time, she connected with my social worker and I actually ended, she ended up becoming my foster parent for a couple of years. So it was like, I went from, you know, being super independent, super, like not having any structure to being in a home where the structure had to be that much more intentional because I was living essentially with my boyfriend. That wasn't the original plan. So the the original plan was for it to be temporary for me to for me to go to another foster home which I did, but that foster home had like seven beds in one room and I just wasn't comfortable and I called my social worker and I said, I'm not staying here. And I remember leaving out for cheerleading practice and taking all my stuff. And the foster mother was like, are you going to take all your things every time you leave? And I was like, yeah, I am. But I didn't have one. I didn't have any intention and plans on going back. So um, just, you know, throughout that time, the the my, you know, boyfriend at the time, his mom ended up going through the process of becoming my foster mother. And I did have my own room. We weren't like shacking up but it was still very unhealthy. It it was very inappropriate. Um, Although like I was safe, I still ended up experiencing things that I shouldn't have as a 14, 15 year old girl in those experiences. Um, 
And of course it was like the talk around school. It was the talk around town. Like why all of a sudden is, you know, she catching the bus in the mornings from her boyfriend's house. Wow. So at the age of 14, I mean, so many experiences, so many different things and thrown into so many different scenarios. So when did things start to feel more stable then for you? Because you did say that, you know, because you went then on and did, you know, you had consistency at school. And then I know that you then moved into actually pageants and, and things like that, didn't you? You did lots of other things as you started to move on beyond. And I was I'm interested to find out a little bit more around those situations that you ended up finding yourself in that maybe brought more stability or different experiences, you know? So um, I ended up living in that foster home for probably about two, maybe two and a half years. And I was grateful enough to continue at the same high school that I was at. And I was cheerleading. Cheerleading was something that I always loved to do. I was able to do that in elementary school and then I was able to do it in high school. And I remember being at my foster mother's job one day and just like looking up modeling and came across pageantry. And so I printed out all this information and I took it to my cheerleading coach. And it's interesting because, you know, I believe everything happens for a reason. And I don't know, like at the, at the time, I don't know why I printed this stuff out and took it to my cheerleading coach, but I did. And I'm, I'm so glad I did because one of the cheerleading coaches knew all about pageants and she was like oh you want to do pageants like these aren't the pageants to do they'll take your money let me sign you up for a pageant so she signed me up for a pageant a week later and i ended up winning miss greater miss greater springfield outstanding teen 2009 and I had no idea what pageants were. I had no idea I would go on to compete for Miss Virginia, outstanding teen, that I would have appearances and be in parades. And I, I just, I had no idea, but it was like a great way to expose me to something that I could latch on to and be proud of and something that could, you know, take my attention off of the pain and the, the depression and, you know, the anxiety, all those things that I had faced at that, you know, as a young girl. But my foster parent wasn't very supportive of the, the sport. And so that also made me feel like, you know, this wasn't for me. I don't have the support that all these other girls have. And so I didn't get far at the state pageant, but I had, you know, experienced it and created many great memories. And I stopped doing pageants. And then when I got to college, I decided I was going to start doing them again. Good for and you. It just, <laughs> just wasn't successful. So I still had, I think, that doubt and that shame that, you know, my parents aren't in the crowd when I'm competing on stage. And I am, you know, reaching out to different former queens and pageant participants and asking them for dresses and wardrobe. And so I don't have the most expensive dress And I don't, you know, I don't have this big support system that I see all of these other contestants having. And I also had a head judge come and tell me that I didn't need to be competing in pageants, that I needed to be writing a book somewhere, which I absolutely should write a book and I will one day. But like it was, you know, kind of besides the point, I wanted to win the pageant. So I stopped doing pageants until I moved to DC. So I was still in foster care at the time. I ended up going away to college, moving back to the DMV area, moved to DC. And 
I had at, at this point, I had kind of gone through my healing process. I had become a, you know, a professional social worker. And I said, you know, I'm going to get back into this pageant world again. And I just hopped right back on in thinking with that kind of with that same mentality, like, oh, I'm going to, you know, wear hand-me-downs and tap into some people who can donate some things to me. Um, and I was very humbled by the experience. I thought I was going to go in and win and I didn't even place that year, but it, it, gave me the opportunity to see what I needed to do to prepare myself to win. And so I just, you know, that journey of not winning and placing, you know, fourth runner up two years in a row gave me the opportunity to, to grow into the woman that I was becoming, to continue building my brand, understanding what my healing process, like what that journey was about and, and why it was so important for me. And then I finally won, you know, a decade later after being exposed to the pageant world, I, I won Miss DC, Miss District of Columbia, USA 2019. Just unbelievable because actually you mentioned there as well, going to college and doing your social work degree, you went and did pageants and it, it feels from what you're saying that there's was quite a lot of determination to kind of book the trend of perhaps some of those messages that you'd been given at an earlier age. Would that be fair to say? Yes, absolutely. Um, I had kind of created this, you know, during my time as Miss District of Columbia USA, I found that I needed to have a message. I knew that I wanted to bring more to the table than just what people saw on the outside. I knew I wanted to bring the whole package and I wanted to spread a message and that really like that message was bringing awareness to the foster care system and also bringing awareness that you know you do go on to become successful and we can begin to debunk these myths that they don't and i was able to place top 10 at miss usa and travel across the nation talking to stakeholders judges social workers supporters of youth in foster care and students all over sharing the you know sharing my story sharing my message that you know you can have a pathway to success regardless of what you're facing in life because i know that from the stats there's there's such a low percentage isn't there of people who go through the foster care system who then go and on and be I don't know, successful, that sounds a terrible thing to say, but you know, that's yeah. going through college and then kind of, you know, turning their experiences yeah. around. And so when you look back on that time of you doing that, how does it make you feel now? Cause you're a lot, you know, you're older now, you're more wiser, but, but yeah. how does it make you feel? It makes me feel, you know, really good, but it also, you know, I realized that there's still a long way to go and there's still a lot of work to be done for these children and families. And that's what I'm still on the ground working towards as a social worker in, you know, the Washington DC area, because the system just wasn't designed to support a child, unfortunately, you know, um, it's, it was designed to keep them safe, but it wasn't designed to ensure their success and to ensure that they heal from their traumatic experiences. And I have always been so grateful and so blessed to be able to tap into those areas of my life that were very much so necessary. But even as an adult, as a, as a woman there, because the, those things were so impactful, I, I still face challenges. There are still bumps in the road and that's with everyone in life, right? You know, we all, you know, every, every experience in life can affect the next person differently. And it's all about, you know, 
it's, it's definitely about the journey, but it's also about, you know, like where you're headed and how you plan on getting there. And that is, that's what's important to me in teaching these youth, these, um, you know, these adolescents, these young adults who are transitioning into adulthood, who have gone through so many different experiences that have impacted their mental health and their well-being is to show them that they can overcome that and they can find coping mechanisms and, you know, they can find a peaceful place to be able to thrive in their life. And I know that you've kind of founded an organization since, haven't you, where you're now working and supporting these young people, as you've described. So what's driving your advocacy for this? So um, my own experiences is really what's driving this. I, my younger sister too um, was in the foster care system and our experiences were very different. And that was one of the, you know, the, the first moments where I realized that, you know, depending on your behavior, depending on your academic success, the decisions you make, that can determine your future success when it comes to the social workers supporting you, how you navigate the system, and then becoming a peer advocate for my peers who were also experiencing the system. You know, that was my first exposure. And then becoming a social worker myself, it gave me not only like that personal lived experience, but it gave me the professional experience. So I saw firsthand how I can see why a system struggles to provide these things to these children and families, but then I can also see, um, you know, how we can do better as a system. So that has led me to, yes, I created an organization, Acts of Random Kindness, and our mission is to bridge the gaps in the community and provide children and families with, you know, programs and services and resources that will allow them to heal from their trauma and become successful. Um, More specifically, I've created a healing toolkit for youth who've experienced trauma and that healing toolkit teaches them how to combat their trauma and how to build relationships. I have so many different relationships with people who have impacted my life over, you know, over the course of my experiences and I believe that it takes a village to raise a child and each person has had you know, an impact on my life in a different way, in a special way. And because of because of those experiences and that support and them believing in me before I even believed in myself helped keep me abreast and it it kept me going throughout my, you know, throughout my difficult times. And now that I am on the other side and I am able to thrive, that is what I want to give back to to children and families. What a transformation. Unbelievable. So what do you wish the young Cordelia knew at the time versus where you are now? So you could look back and give some advice to yourself now. What would it be? That to not worry, that everything would be okay and that I was doing the right things because I think sometimes I doubted myself if I was making the right decisions and I had so many other people doubting me you know as much support as I had there were still those people who didn't believe in me or who told me I was making the the wrong decisions or not going down the right path um, or reminding me of what life my parents had and that I could end up down that path just like them at any you know any any bad decision I make that was the path that I was going 
And so I would tell myself not to worry, to, you know, to love myself because it took a, a really long time for me to be confident in myself, to, to believe that I was capable. And when, you know, in terms of where you sit and stand now, thinking about your purpose with all what you've learned, because although it's been very challenging and obviously traumatic, as you've described at times, and there's still the emotion there, which is totally understandable, but how do you think now in terms of your purpose, how would you describe what you're here to do? Because right at the very beginning of our conversation, you said, you know, I I know there was work that I was meant to be doing. So I just wondered if you could share that. I would probably have to say my, you know, my purpose is to help others heal, to help others see their, their worth, to help them believe in themselves, to find their self-determination, to help them create, you know, a plan of success for their, for themselves and to, to break those generational curses that often happen in in families when one person is kind of exposed to a system and they haven't healed from their experiences and so they have children and then their children experience you know their pain and their hurt and their brokenness and their survivor mode and then it just ends up being this cycle that doesn't that continues to repeat itself you know as i mentioned before my mom was in and out of incarceration exposed to the foster care system my sister, my mom's oldest daughter, in and, out, in, a, in and out of incarceration. My dad, drug addict and alcoholic. I have two brothers who are incarcerated. You know, so it was, it was, it definitely wasn't just, you know, visible for me to see like, hey, you can break the cycle. I had multiple family members and it the, the cycle was continuing to repeat itself as I was growing up and going through life. And it wasn't until I was able to continue to break some of these patterns and make different decisions, which wasn't always easy. And I suppose now the work that you're doing though, because you've been through that and you have broken those patterns and those cycles, you know, you can share that and impart that experience and knowledge and guidance um, in the work that you do with, with the people that you work with. Yes, I. that's one of the things that I love most about who I am and what I'm able to bring to the table when working with these children and families is that I know what it's like. I know what it's like to, you know, to not be wanted or to not have the resources or to not know what tomorrow is going to look like, to be in survivor mode, to not know what the future holds, to be scared, to be fearful those are the those are the things that when when I'm interacting with a with a child or with a youth in their families I I know what they're what they're going through and I would imagine for those young people who are experiencing similar things that you did it's going to be so much more easier for them to relate to somebody who's not part of that welfare system as such you know they're not the social I mean you know you're doing social work, but but they cut you're coming from a different experience because you've been there you've done it you've experienced it and I would imagine it's a lot easier for people to relate to to a person like that rather than the system yes it is and sometimes it's twofold right like sometimes I am able to relate to them but sometimes it can be intimidating and so I have to be careful how I disclose my experiences and share with them 
you know, why I'm so consistent, why, you know, I'm a woman of my word when I work with them, why I am patient and insightful, you know, it's one of those things where I have to be very careful with self-disclosure in my field. But when I am able to disclose, it does, I think it really does create a certain type of, you know, relationship with my client that allows them to see firsthand what they can, what they can do and who they can become. The conversation that we've been having has actually been kind of all the way through. There's been this aspect of transformation. You know, you've you've transformed you through the process, through the system. And I'm wondering when you look back and where you, where you are today, what would you describe as being the biggest transformation that you've noticed within yourself? Wow. I've had many, many transformations, but I would probably say over this last year, you know, like, me going on and winning the pageant was something that I really wanted to accomplish. And I did that and I felt really, really good about it. But then I would say going on and like getting married and now, you know, in the process of becoming a mom, I haven't given birth yet, but I can only imagine what type of experience that's going to be for me. I think these, you know, these next few months in this last year and a half really were areas in my life where it really challenged me and pushed me to say, you know, Cordelia, you are not, you're not where you used to be. You're not in survivor mode anymore. And you don't have to allow those responses to resurface. And so, you know, my husband and I, we got married and we bought a home and I I would have never imagined, you know, of course, you, you like, I think all young girls think like, oh, I'm going to grow up and I'm going to be married and I'm going to have children. Right. But then when the reality sets in and you're actually going through the motions, like someone like me who never really saw a successful marriage and, you know, said I wanted to be married, but never really actually visualized it. I think it, it just kind of hit home differently. So it was like, oh, I'm going to have a home that I don't have to move out in a year or two years in. Like I could literally all my life, I've moved around from home to home, place to place. And for the first time in my life at 28 years old, I could say I had a home that I didn't have to leave ever again if I didn't want to. And I think that brought up a level of emotions that I was not ready for. You know, super excited about it. Love my home. I've I've been able to decorate and, and, you know, call a house a home. But I I don't think I was prepared for the emotional transition that it was going to bring me through. And so it it took me back at times. And and then I kind of had to check myself. Like, you know, and those are things that I think you know, as a system or a society, we don't realize when trauma, how trauma affects the brain and how it affects someone, you know, you don't have to just be in foster care or be connected to these systems to deal with trauma. Everyone kind of has their own traumatic experience in life. And you never really know when that's going to come up again for you in, in adulthood. And so for me, it was that it was around the time of like us purchasing purchasing a home and me being able to say, okay, I never have to leave, which was super exciting. But like I said, it brought up some, it brought up those emotions like, wow, this is really happening. So I think that experience was, has been super transformative in my life because it brought me through another healing process. 
And then becoming a mom, um, my mom and I have been able to build on our relationship since she's been home the last, you know, eight years. And there are, we have our differences. There are things that we often don't get to really talk about or dive into um, as much as we thought we could because the conversation just isn't, it's just not as healthy as I would have desired it to be. But we do have a relationship and she is very supportive. Um, and I think that once I become a mom, I'm going to go through my own fair share of what that means and what that looks like. And that'll probably be another part of my journey and my healing process. So I am excited to become a mom, looking forward to it. I heard it's one of the best experiences that you can have. Well, I would agree with that. Um, my son's now 18, but yeah, I would agree. I can remember, you know, everything from, you know, the, when he was born and everything. So it's going to be an amazing experience. And you're right, it will give you a whole different perspective. It will again you'll grow and you'll change and you'll transform and you know so it's going to be quite an exciting time for you which i'm, I'm congratulations really delighted Thank for you. you so just before we wrap up our conversation if it's okay i've just got two or three more questions but the yeah. first one is when you think about um going through the social care system what advice would you give to anybody who's who's experiencing that or has been through that yeah I would say educate yourself. When I understood what it meant to be in foster care, what it meant to be a part of a system, that gave me insight on how I was supposed to navigate it. If you educate yourself on the system and then you learn how to advocate for yourself, you can absolutely navigate the system to your benefit. Um, that's another part of what I do in, in my work is I educate the youth on, you know, for example, the foster care system is not a child's fault. They're not in foster care because of their own doings. It's, it's likely because of their parents, but then also understanding, you know, those generational cycles. And if you look at a lot of the parents who have children in foster care, likely them or their parents were in the foster care system. And so providing them that insight and then also teaching them how to use their voice when necessary and use it in a professional way, which sometimes is hard for, uh, you know, an adolescent who is angry and bitter and, you know, faults themselves for their experiences. So it's not an easy task to do, but it's something that I'd strive for in every conversation that I have with any of my youth is to use their voice so that they can navigate the system to the best of their ability. Amazing. Thank you. And finally then, so where can our listeners learn more about you? Where can we find you? Yes. So ark-dc.org is my organization's website. And then survivor-to-thriver.org is where you can learn more about Survivor to Thriver, my coaching, me speaking across the nation, and me facilitating workshops for children families and stakeholders and their supporters. Um, you can follow me on Instagram, Cordelia D. Cranshaw, I believe is my, is my handle. <laughs> um, follow me on Instagram to keep up with me there and also my YouTube channel. 
Amazing. Thank you. I just want to say how privileged and honoured it's been, I feel, to have had this conversation with you today. It's been lovely talking with you. And thank you so much for sharing all what you've had. I've really enjoyed and listening to you and talking to you, but I've also I've learned a lot from you as well. So thank you for that. And I'm sure our listeners will feel exactly the same. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I hope that you know whoever is listening to this absolutely can take something away from it. And I hope that um, also listeners will continue to spread kindness because you never really know what someone's going through. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Cordelia. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. I'd love to take a moment and tell you about our wellness retreats that will be happening in May 2022 in Mallorca, Spain. My team and I have created four immersive retreats that allows you to take a step back from all the stresses and strains of your daily life in order to focus on your physical, mental, emotional and spiritual well-being. From coaching mastery, mindfulness and meditation, conscious living and so much more, we offer a nurturing and truly experiential life-enriching environment where you'll reconnect, rediscover and reaffirm who you are and what you want in your life. If you're interested in learning more, head to the fullcircleglobal.com website and click the retreats tab. In the meantime, stay well, invite joy and curiosity into your life and see you soon.